Hey guys, welcome to Upbeat. I'm your host, Parker Kane. Thank you very much for being here and for listening in today. Uh, if you if you would, please follow, follow the podcast. Hit that follow button wherever you're listening to it right now. That is much appreciated. Um, before we dive in, I just wanted to say that I had a really good 4th of July weekend. I hope you did too. I hope it was happy and safe. Uh, th- I'm thinking about you guys. I hope you're well. Again, really glad that you're here listening. So thank you for the support. Uh, And this is a very cool, very needed episode, too. I got to chat with Michelle E. Dickinson all about our mental health and really the world of mental health in general, especially how we're being impacted by the coronavirus and the lockdowns and the things we see on the news and media today. So yeah, this is an episode all about our mental health and how we can best manage it through these tough times. And Michelle offers a bunch of really great insight and advice. Her website is michelleedickinson.com. She'd love to connect with you there, so be sure to check it out. Uh, Without further ado, let's get into it. Michelle, thank you for joining me on Upbeat. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Parker. Absolutely. Well, I'd love to uh, kick this off with getting to know you a little bit better. So uh, if you could just catch the listeners up and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure. Well, I live in my hometown of Westfield, New Jersey. Grew up here. I found myself moving back a few years ago. Um, I spent 19 years in the pharmaceutical industry, recently concluded that career, and became an entrepreneur of my own uh, mental health company, Trifecta Mental Health. And growing up with my mom um, shaped me. She was bipolar. So growing up with her, I was a caregiver to her. And uh, a few years ago, I was invited to give a TED Talk about that experience, which really like paved the road for me to then write my memoir and become a really passionate mental health advocate. All awesome things. Uh, Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Again, this podcast, super largely about finding and pursuing our passions and being committed to living upbeat. You know, that's where some of the wordplay comes in. So I guess I'd love to ask you, when exactly was it, or or if you could dial in on a specific time where you just knew that this is what you're passionate about and what you wanted to pursue, and, and ultimately with the mission of helping people better understand the world of mental illness? Yeah. You know, I was working full time and I would have this like bottomless pit of energy after hours and on weekends to talk Uh about mental health. So I was like giving talks. I was going to uh, events and having the opportunity to talk about my book. And I was getting so much energy from the work I was doing outside of my day job. And then when I was diagnosed with mental illness, with depression, the pivotal moment for me was when I told my boss that I was dealing with depression And it wasn't met with the level of compassion I'd hoped for. And then I was evaluated on not being bubbly or upbeat in my performance review. And I thought, my gosh, how many other people are struggling, go to work, put their game face on, pretend they're okay, maybe have a moment where they feel like they can trust their leader and that is the reaction they get. So I said, in that moment, that's it. This is where my life, this is my life's purpose. This is what I have to do. And I I created Trifecta and I've never looked back. And I tell you, I get such deep fulfillment in in the work I do every single day because I'm following my heart. Yeah. Well, and clearly helping people too. Um, I'd love to kind of define that word too real quick, stigma. 
What does stigma mean and how is there this stigma in the world of mental health and what can we do about it? You know, the first word that comes to mind when you say the word stigma is ignorance. Like we don't know what we don't know. So stigma, in my opinion, is just the absence of knowledge and the absence of understanding. When you say stigma prevents people from care, it is something that has people ashamed because they don't want to be judged. It has them afraid because they don't know what care looks like. Ultimately, it causes more people to suffer in silence and not get what they deserve, the care that they deserve. So, you know, that's what we have to eliminate and through open dialogue and open conversation and education and really having people get what it means to have a mental illness and examining their own unconscious biases around what they think mental illness is. That's where we can start to break down the stigma. Got it. Well, and, and what would what do you say to people who are suffering with mental illness themselves or as a caregiver? What are your thoughts on that? I think it's how big we make it. If someone said the word mental illness or mental health to me, I might be less receptive because of the societal norms around those terms. I might, I might be less open to sort of engaging in a discussion versus if you say to me, hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling today? You know, I think we have to be really responsible with the words that we're using because those words, just because of society, have a negative connotation. But if we actually take a step back and start to just relate to it as, you know, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Ah, I was feeling like this. And maybe go first. It becomes much less of a thing. Got it. I absolutely love that. Um, And you mentioned a few times a, a minute ago to the word compassion. And I know just in, in looking up, kind of trying to do my, my part to prepare for this interview, you created five steps to cultivating a culture of compassion. Uh, would you want to kind of cover that for us real quick? Sure. I mean, there's a lot of great things that companies can be doing. I mean, I think we have to be mindful of what's going on now that we're coming out of COVID. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of uncertainty. People have been um, struggling. Many people for the first time may be struggling with a mental health imbalance. They're quarantined at home. They're, we're social creatures by nature, and we've been, we've been asked to stay away from other people. So companies need to be thinking about what does our culture look like? What is the experience of our employees? We can't come together in a building what could we be doing to really help our, our staff and feel okay? So I created uh, five steps to cultivating a culture of compassion as sort of the, the basics that companies can do, right? So the first thing, and these are all available on my website, and I'm happy to talk to people about these you know, at length, but these are the shortcuts. So, And my website is michellee.dickinson.com. So the first one is um, a clear vision and a commitment of inclusion of invisible disabilities from the highest levels of the organization, from the leadership, from your C-suite, that, you know, we are going to be an inclusive organization. Invisible disabilities are going to be accepted just like physical disabilities. And then the organization um, having policies to back that remit, like policies that that actually declare that and have um, actions around that. Um, something so basic is robust and easily accessible mental health support. You know, there's nothing worse than an employee finally having the courage to pick up the phone and reach out for support 
only to be met with, you can get in to see a clinician in three months. We want them to be able to have easy, um, easily accessible mental health support. Um, education and training of people leaders. The example I share with you about my people leader, not being understanding, not being compassionate, and then judging me on my bubbliness is absolutely absurd. Like we need our leaders to have emotional intelligence, foster trust with their employees, really understand what their resources are if they sense an employee is dealing with something. Some other things companies can do is create a structured employee peer support community. The nicest thing about that is you have employees who may have navigated something and are back in their work seat and they represent hope. So if you can pull together a community of support um, where employees are willing to share the hope that's on the other side of, of a life challenge, you, you, do your, you do your own um, employee body uh, a service by doing that. And then I'm a big fan of storytelling. You know, I wrote my book um, that gives me the access to tell my story, but simply telling stories in the workplace, what if you had a senior leader who felt courageous enough to tell the organization, I struggle with anxiety and I do these things and I navigate, you know, I navigate life with anxiety. It would truly humanize mental health and make people who feel ashamed less ashamed. So it's all about storytelling and um, creating safe spaces for employees to, to really share that others are not alone. Gosh, yeah, that's all really, really good stuff. I, I love that. And I just, I think of some of the workplaces I've been in and some of the workplaces I, I have family and friends in right now. And I guess the, the complaining that we, we all do to each other and all the complaints we have about the different places we've worked, like that, everything you just said would literally eliminate all of the things that we struggle with right now? You know, here's the thing. Honestly, Parker, companies are not going to always get it right. I mean, I worked for a company that had a, a really strong remit at the top of the organization and said, we, we are going to be accepting of mental illness and we're going to be a stigma-free company. And yet, like, you know, there were missteps along the way. They, they thought, you know, they tried things that didn't work. I mean, I witnessed things that didn't work. And then I had my own people leader not aware of things that they could be doing differently. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a progression. And I think any step that you're building on what you're already doing is going to serve your people and they are your greatest asset. So it makes sense. Definitely. Well, and obviously elevated because of this global pandemic that, that we've been going through. So I'm excited to get into this. This is uh, a big reason why I was really excited to talk with you on the podcast. Clearly, it hasn't been a, a helpful thing, this pandemic. It's been definitely the opposite. That's been harmful for the mental health world and how it impacts people. Uh, and I'm just looking at this info that you sent me. It says, one of the anticipated consequences of COVID-19 will be a massive mental health crisis the United Nations released a policy brief entitled COVID-19 and the need for action on mental health, citing the deep toll and crisis, uh, the deep toll the crisis has taken due to social isolation, losing a loved one, and the economic turmoil from lost income. So now more than ever, we need to talk about mental health. Well, that's why we're here, Michelle. And again, so grateful to have you on the show to talk about this. What are some of your thoughts about the impact COVID-19 is having on mental health right now? 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very real. Um, I mean, I know for myself, just speaking from my own experience, I haven't been, um, you know, I was diagnosed with depression a few years ago, but I navigated it sort of a, a short period of time. I'm, I was fortunate. Um, but for, I mean, for me in this situation, I'm, I'm quarantined by myself. Um, I have my dogs. Um, I can't see people. I'm, I'm restricted to zoom interactions. Like, you know, I'm cooking. There are things that I'm doing that maybe isn't really supporting my mental well-being. So I was very present to this is really taking a toll on me. And then, you know, I had a couple of clients that said, what could we be doing for our people right now? Um, so I said, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe what we should be doing is thinking about how do we empower people in their current situation to navigate this um, and then know where to go if they need clinical support because you know, this is an extended period of time. No one anticipated this. So um, out of that request came my um, Protecting Our Happy Resilience webinar. And I've been delivering that to employees um, of organizations that are really committed to having their people stay healthy, stay mentally healthy, you know, working from home, being quarantined, um, staying safe and healthy. So I deliver that um, to several clients and I'm actually delivering it uh, on a weekly basis in a limit, like a abbreviated version of it once a week for free for anyone who wants to come. Um, my next one is actually Wednesday night at 7 PM, but these are simple tools. What I'm really doing is pulling together some common sense tools, things you can be doing day to day that help just keep your mood in a good space, keep your head in a, in a clear space. Um, things that, probably your mother would tell you to do, to be honest, but putting them all together uh, to remind us that we do have more control than we think. I love that. Well, and what can people do to manage it? You know, I mean, this is something that creeps its way into every area of our lives, whether it's family, finance, the workplace, and all of those things hugely impacted because of COVID-19. So what can we do if we're noticing this having more of a negative effect in our lives? It's almost Captain Obvious, but we don't realize that we're doing it. And that's reducing the amount of intake of television and the news and the media and even the amount of time you're spending on social media. You know, we have a lot of, um, there's a lot going on between the pandemic and, you know, with the social unrest and all that. So there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of news that, that could be feeding the fears and the anxiety that you might be feeling. So I always say, just limit that. That's the first thing you should be doing is turn off the source of the fear and the stress. You know, that's super important. Making sure that you're taking care of yourself physically is really important. That means exercise. That means enough sleep. That means a good diet. It's easy to want to gravitate to comfort foods, but those really aren't going to support brain health. Changing up and refreshing your workspace. If you're stuck in the same workspace that you've been for the past three months, refresh it. Change change three things about it. Change what you're looking at, what you're smelling all day long. Maybe get an, a candle or an incense um, or an infuser. And then change what you're hearing. Maybe listen to some some calming music. Those are three things you can do to refresh your work environment so you feel energized by your space. Great advice there, uh, especially the music part. I love I love changing up the music uh, to make things flow a little bit better. Uh, specifically in regard to workplace, you know, this is something kind of fascinating. I was talking about with a friend uh, a few days ago. 
there's obviously like the isolation element, like people who are staying home and and uh, they'd like to be back at work. But then you kind of have this opposite effect too, where people are happy <laughs> working at home and they really don't want to go back to work. And so going back to work is kind of taking a toll on them. So you probably have some, maybe some depression on both sides of the fence right there. Have you seen these things being an issue? And what kind of advice would you have in those cases? It's really interesting. So I don't have any uh, examples where I've been hearing from people that I'm being forced to go back to work. Um, From what I hear, um, a lot of employers are saying, stay home, stay safe. So I haven't heard that, but I can imagine the stress and the anxiety that comes with that. And I think it's sort of upsetting if, if an employee isn't able to work from home because they feel more comfortable and more safe. And that's where I would say employers need to listen to the needs of their people, support them so they can show up and do the best job possible, you know? Yeah. Well, and I'm so glad that you also brought up, um, you know, news and media and we're living in a crazy, crazy time where the use of technology and the amount of content and media that we're constantly seeing is through the roof. Uh, So I'm glad that you brought that up, you know, more than limiting it, some, some what you would consume. Do you think it's good to have like full on social media fasts, like where you just take like a whole month off of, off of the apps? I love it. I love it. I had a friend when I was dealing with, um, when I was dealing with depression and I was struggling, um, my friend said to me, do yourself a favor and just remove them from your phone, remove them from your phone. So you're not like opening them and, and, you know, mindlessly looking, because even if you think they're not affecting you subconsciously, they are. And so I do agree. I think, I think it's healthy to either extremely limit it limit it by looking at it on a computer when you're in front of a screen, like sitting down, um, or take it off your, you know, take it off your phone entirely. So you don't have the tendency to just go back and keep looking and keep looking. I'm guilty of it myself. And I know, um, it doesn't always make me feel good to be scrolling endlessly on that, you know? Yeah. Well, and if anything, even if you're watching like all good things that aren't necessarily bringing you down, it's still, at the end of the day, kind of a time suck. You know, you could be doing other things with that time that are more productive. So true. You pre, you were preaching right there. When I, (laughs) when I find myself, you know, 20 minutes in, I'm like, why did I just waste this time? So I I get it. I get it. It is a time suck. Yeah. And where I'm, where I'm uh, cursed with that the most is actually at nighttime. Cause I work, I pride myself in working pretty hard throughout the day, but then nighttime comes, I should probably be going to bed. And then an hour goes by and I didn't get up off the couch and I just watched like 20 different TikTok videos. <laughs> and like it, you need to, yeah, like I could have been sleeping that, that hour, but I missed it, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, whenever mental illness is discussed in the media, it's always because like a horrible thing happened um, and people act as if it's a one in a million experience. So considering that too, you know, so many people are living with mental illness themselves or are a parent or child of someone with mental illness, I guess let's here wrapping it up. What, what can we do to normalize it a little bit and make it more relatable for everyone? Yeah, that's a great question. I think we all have a role in removing stigma. We we all and we all have mental health. 
So we need to stop relating to mental health as either being mentally ill or mentally well. There is a continuum of mental wellness and we glide across that continuum throughout our lives. Some days we're going to have better days than others. Sometimes a life event's going to come along like it did for me and take me down. So I think we need to start relating to it as we all have mental health and mental well-being and we're all complex human beings just trying to do life. So when you stop giving it the energy that it's mental illness or mental health and you just start casually asking the question, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Um, you know, what's going on with you? you? Are you having a good day? If you just start having a general conversation and not labeling it as a mental health discussion, it becomes more palatable and more normal to talk about it. In my resilience webinar, I have what is a um, wellness check-in, a brain wellness check-in, where I ask people to really look at that list of options and identify how they're feeling. There's different color hearts and it represents different emotions that you're feeling that day. That's a kind of conversation that I think every family should be having every day. That makes it less of a thing and a normal conversation. Uh, if we do it for our physical well-being, we should be doing it for our brain. So I think um, caring for one another, asking them how, how they're doing and, and not making it a big deal is the first step in removing and diminishing the stigma. Awesome. Are there any resources that, that you have for people to go to? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And I'm not a clinician. That's something I am really, you know, responsible with sharing. I'm not a clinician, but oftentimes a lot of people say, I care about my loved one. I think they're struggling. What are the signs and symptoms of depression? Well, this is where the National Alliance on Mental Illness can help. It's NAMI.org. And they actually have the signs and symptoms of depression. You can go there. You can look and see what they say. They have support communities. They have um, local chapters that get together. I'm sure they're doing it virtually now. So it would be probably very easy for you to connect with someone. Um, but the National Alliance on Mental Illness is a tremendous resource. Perfect. Thank you very much for sharing that. Uh, and thanks for being on the podcast. Are you cool if we do that upbeat seat segment real quick? Absolutely. Okay, awesome. Michelle, what makes you upbeat? My passion for ending suffering. Who is your number one influence or inspiration? I think leaders like Brene Brown, who really hit home empathy and compassion and authenticity. Awesome. What music do you listen to uh, to stay upbeat and motivated? Everything. I was listening to Motown the other day. So everything <laughs> from Motown to club music to country music, whatever it takes. Do you have a favorite word? Compassion. For yourself and for others. What is your favorite TV show? You know, I'm addicted to Impractical Jokers because it makes <laughs> me laugh. <laughs> I love that show. Yeah. What does music mean to you and how has it played a role in your life? Music has been a very huge role in my life because if I'm ever feeling down or if I'm ever feeling like less energized, I can put on a good song and I know it'll elevate my mood. So music is vital for me. Love that. Uh, and I know we just talked a little bit about limiting social media, but what is your favorite platform and where can people get in touch with you? Sure. So my, my website is michelleedickinson.com. 
and I am on Instagram as well, um, Michelle Dickinson 71. And I love to hear from people. So if you caught this and you want to chat about anything that has to do uh, with mental health, please reach out. Sweet. And I always do this at the end of the the end of the segment here, but I will do a quick beatbox with your name in it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on Upbeat and sharing your passion about uh, mental health and what actionable steps that we can take to help make it a better situation for everyone. I appreciate it, Michelle. Thanks for having me, Parker. So there you have it, my interview with Michelle E. Dickinson. Michelle, thanks again for being on Upbeat. Uh, To everyone listening, thank you very much for listening. We'd love to connect with you. You can find Michelle on her website, michelleedickinson.com, and you can get to me on Instagram, parkercane.co, or upbeatpod. If you enjoyed the episode or got value from the episode, please share it with a friend and leave your upbeat review. That is always very much so appreciated. You guys are the best. I'll see you next week.